You know, as I uh, looked at starting the weekend, I'd like to read a, a verse to you to sort of set the tone that Patrick and I would share. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in faith. Now, the reason I read that verse is our claim is not that we're speaking to you from some height of accomplishment, but rather we join you in seeking God's presence, our Lord's help uh, in daily life. And so uh, we want to speak from that posture to you. And as you see us, if you have questions, comments, complaints, brick bats, whatever, we are more than open. We are delighted to be with you. Uh, we are also very grateful for the partnership with this church that we've shared for many years. Uh, many of our workers send their greetings, and as we go through the weekend, you may introduce some of them as well. Uh, if you would like to follow in your scripture, if you'd like to read along with me, you could turn to the book of John, I'm looking at chapter 7, and beginning in verse 7, we read these words. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he, he said about the Spirit, whom those be, who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Uh, this whole chapter uh, speaks of Jesus attending this annual feast. And the feast uh, was named the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Ingathering in the Old Testament, and it was uh, a time to celebrate harvest. And so roughly like Thanksgiving, except a lot rowdier and longer. Now the reason it was called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles is, God commanded His people once a year to gather near the place of sacrifice or worship, then it was Jerusalem, and to build effectively little lean-tos. And these lean-tos were to be made out of palm branches, and they were specified, and then tradition added them, and you had rules about how long you had to stay in them, and then you could go back into the city, and all this kind of stuff. But it was sort of a family gathering where those who were really faithful left their town where they lived, did a pilgrimage annually, to Jerusalem, set up these little lean-tos, and would spend time in them, and then time in sacrifice and worship, and a lot of tradition grew up around it. A lot of fun, apparently. Some of the rabbis decided that, you know, it was getting a little too exuberant, and so they demanded that the book of Ecclesiastes be read publicly during the week. 
Well, that tells you something that they felt like, you know, this is getting a little out of hand. Uh, so uh, uh, the Feast of, of Tabernacles and Booths was to remember that God had his people live in tents and delivered them from that to a land of plenty. And they celebrated having been in the wilderness and now a place of harvest. They made gifts and thanked God all week long. And apparently, I mean, there were a lot of interesting things going on. They had uh, rules for waving your sheaf, your, your palm frond. You had to wave it this way and then wave it that way and wave it this way. Then over your head and back. And there was a time when all the families and the kids would throw citrons up toward the front, you know, like an orange. And so, I mean, just really interesting kind of worship. And this is the last day, the great day, uh, all throughout the feast, the priest would pull a, a jug of water from the pool of Siloam and pour it out as a drink offering to God, pour it out before God, symbolizing God giving the rain and what they were praying for. So this is kind of the territory that we're in religiously. And uh, you know, the, the people, not all Jewish people in Israel would go to these things. But the observant would, those who were most interested, those who wanted to raise their family according to, to God's law, those who wanted to participate in the things that God had called them to. Those were the families and the people who closed down their business, left their fields, took their profits, went to Jerusalem, made the offerings, and spent eight days there. Uh, so this is the crowd that's gathered. Jesus has been teaching and preaching, and that has caused an uproar. As a matter of fact, many people went to that uh, feast hoping to hear or to see some of the things that Christ had done. And the chapter begins with his brothers really mocking him. You know, if you're doing all these great things, why don't you go up publicly so everybody can see you and gather in? Well, Christ knew what that would mean. That would lead immediately to the crucifixion. And so he went up privately uh, 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 to attend the feast as commanded by God, but not to uh, fall into the hands of his enemies. Right before this, we see that they were uh, plotting to arrest him and looking for him, but couldn't find him. And so here on the last day of the feast, this feast that had been prescribed by God as a blessing for his people, we see Jesus appear. And uh, interestingly, this is one of the feasts where specifically God says that the sojourners the strangers, the immigrants, the uh, travelers that were going through that community were to be included in the celebration. So you have an interesting gathering of, of people who just lived in Jerusalem and made money off the tourist trade. You had the people who were there for the celebration. You had them including those who had just happened to wander by. And in the middle of the most important day, Jesus stands, which is unusual. A teacher usually sat. Jesus, Jesus stands so he can see the crowd, and he yells, Is anyone thirsty? 
And if you have the context, the question, is, the question I would have is, what is he talking about? What could that possibly mean? If anyone is thirsty, do you know who comes tonight? People who are committed to their spiritual life, who are interested, who are, are uh, wanting to grow, who are wanting to hear from God and to the crowd in Jerusalem and to us, Jesus says, is anyone thirsty? What does he mean by that? Why does he start there? Thirst is a gift from God. Your thirst for more, more than all the religious trappings, more than the history and tradition, more than the sacrifices, more than the usual, your desire for more is a gift for God, from God. Now that shows up in my life in more than one way. Sadly, often when I'm dry or thirsty, I don't recognize it, and it comes out of me in different ways. Now, the great thing about that is uh, that we're all different. The way it comes out of me is my sin and my struggle when I'm not as close to God as I should be, when I am thirsty. Uh, I walk on my own. I walk apart, and as a re result, all those things in my character and my flesh begin to take root and express themselves in good, acceptable religious sin for the most part. <laughs> I, you know, I've been a pastor uh, for longer than some of you have been born, so of course they express itself, they express themselves in religious uh, trappings. So as a pastor, a missionary, I want you to know I never get angry. I do get irritated, really disappointed. And I get that way enough so you know it. But I don't raise my voice. Do you understand? When, when I slide back into those patterns, do you know what I should hear? My heart is thirsty. I was looking for something from you that I didn't get. And so I am disappointed. I was looking for something from life, something from work, something from relationships to fill me up, and I didn't get it, and so I'm disappointed. And I really am. And if, it, if I'm honest with, it, with you about it, it, it's much more than just irritated. Do you understand? that those motions of my heart tell me they express the thirst that I really have. So let me ask you, are you listening to your thirst? How does it show up in you? It'll be different for you. It may be boredom. It may be cynicism. It may be redoubled effort to have a good time uh, and to engage things around you that you enjoy. It may uh, look like uh, overindulgence. It may look like um, uh, uh, being fixated on a hobby. It may, I, I don't know. The great thing about 
this is we're all different and your sin is original. You can make up stuff I can't even believe or think of. I'm married to a person like that. She'd agree if she was here. She got the flu and I told her, please don't share. So she stayed home. Uh, Barbara usually travels with me, but you know, we are so different. It's, it's, It's crazy in some ways. I'm an extrovert. She's an introvert. When I get Angry, uh, when I get uh, apart from God, anger, irritation, control, those things come out of her. Barbara runs, hides, gets quiet, saves it up, tells a large pile, and then shares it with you years later. (laughs) Right? So our our sin, uh, the manifestation of the hunger of our heart runs to fill ourselves with other things. And when we do that, our con- it, it tells us something about what we're really trusting. So part of what Christ says is, is anyone thirsty? You know, you have to be self-conscious enough. You have to be willing enough to say, Yeah. And that's why all this crap is coming out of me. That's why all all of this uh, seeking, looking for something comes out of me. That's where the boredom comes from. That's where the uh, uh, depression comes from. That's where the anxiety comes from. That's where the tendency to control people. That's where the gossip comes from. That's where, the, uh, that's where it all comes from, because my heart is thirsty. And that takes a moment of honesty in your life where the Spirit starts to crack that open and say, you know, you need to look at what is really going on. By the way, thirst is a gift. If you weren't able to feel thirst, if you weren't motivated to look for water, you could die of that. And spiritually, thirst is a gift from God. It's something that you ought to pay attention to, that when you're distant or lonely or cut off or all these things that we experience, rather than simply try to medicate yourself, improve yourself, Um, uh, entertain yourself, feed yourself. There's a thirst there spiritually that you need to acknowledge and move toward. That's a gift. And what does Jesus say? He says, if anyone is thirsty. You know, not everyone is. Not everybody at that feast was. Not everyone responded to him. Not everyone understood him or cared. And so he says, if you're out there and if you're thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, you come to me. What a remarkable offer. And part of what I would say to you is, right where you are, no matter how many years or how many problems or how many disappointments or how many failures there have been around you or how many losses and tragedies and You have a Savior. 
Christ himself says tonight to your heart, you come. If you're thirsty, come to me. You come to me. That is a personal invitation from Christ to me to recognize the dysfunction and the thirst in my life and instead of filling it with something else or denying that it's going on or both, taking myself to him, answering his invitation. How do you do that? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let's continue the verse. Let him come to me and drink. What could that mean? If you look down at the beginning of the next verse, it says, whoever believes in me. And that's what Christ means by coming and drinking. Coming to him is to put my faith in his love, his presence, his sacrifice, his care for me, and to take my thirsty heart to the one who loves me. And to trust that he will engage me. Now, uh, again, first step, some honesty. And I find, uh, I'm sure in other churches you've observed this, but many Christians struggle to be honest about their own lives. It's too frightening. We think that by living in, in uh, partial denial of what our struggles really are internally, that that is somehow effective to change us. And Christ has a different solution. He says, if you're thirsty, come to me. Say it. Come. And he makes a promise that as you come and believe, meaning trust him and him alone, we'll talk about that later, what it means to trust, and as you trust him, he makes a remarkable promise to you. Uh, it's almost unbelievable. Look at what he says. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What a remarkable promise. The promise of Christ is not merely to meet your hunger, to meet your thirst. You remember what the Sermon on the Mount says, whoever hungers and thirsts after righteousness. By the way, the name of righteous, righteousness is a person. His name is Jesus. He is my righteousness. And as I hunger and thirst, if anyone is thirsty, where do I go? I take myself to Christ, 
who restores my fellowship with God, who fills me with his spirit. And as I do that, as often as I need to, the promise is not only will he meet my thirst, not only will he satisfy what I'm thirsty for, but something else remarkable happens. Look at what he says. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, shall thirst no more. Is that what yours says? What mine says is more than I could ever imagine. What mine says is that because when I believe, the Holy Spirit fills that faith in me, and look what happens. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's more than just being personally satisfied, isn't it? Instead of him just turning me into someone who is happy and satisfied, what does he do? He actually makes me a source of living water that moves, satisfies my thirst, and then moves through me like a river. It goes somewhere. It accomplishes God's work and mission in the world. That, the, that when my own heart meets its need in Christ, finds its need met in Christ, what can happen to me is that the Spirit not only gives me satisfaction, joy. Wait, wait. Isn't there a verse that talks about this? Love, joy, peace, patience, right? Not only does the Spirit put those things in me, but He moves them through me to bless the world. Isn't that remarkable? That's the promise. You know, there are several scriptures, he says, as the scripture would say, and there are several scriptures that point to this, but I, I want to read the scripture I believe he had in mind that is the actual background of this. It's a little long and it's a little weird, so you'll need, need to hang with me, okay? It's in the book of Ezekiel. Now, if you haven't read Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel is kind of like an acid trip. I mean, Ezekiel is really profoundly strange. And I would encourage you to read it. It's during the uh, years of exile. He's roughly contemporaneous with Daniel. Daniel is living in a palace. Ezekiel, as a priest, no longer has a temple or a service. He's a captive. He lives outside across the river Chebar, and he prophesies roughly at the same, within the same 70-year period as Daniel did. In verse, in chapter 47, he says this, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside. 
so to the outer gate that faces toward the east, and behold, the water was trickling out on the south side, going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water, and it was knee-deep. He leads him another thousand cubits as water to the waist. He leads him another thousand units as water the, to the chest, water that you could swim in. Flowing from where? Flowing out of the temple of God. And who is the temple of God? You are the temple of God. His people are the temple of God. And what is the promise of Christ that the Spirit can and will fill our hearts. And as he does, water flows from us to bless the world. What a great vision. And, and he took me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side or the other, skipping down to 12, and there on the bank on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fruit fresh every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So that through the thirst that's in your heart, when you take that thirst to Christ, not only does he change your heart and meet your needs, but by his Spirit, he produces something for others. More than you need. Because out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that an amazing promise? Where does it start? Ah, bad news. Starts with honesty. Honest enough to say, yeah, I'm not completely okay. <laughs> honesty that says, yes, I, I am thirsty. Honestly, it says, Lord Jesus, does this include me? Help me be honest. Help me believe. Give me this promise. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Uh, this evening, what I want to do is to give you a few minutes to take your heart where you are to Christ. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take 10, 15 minutes of uncomfortable silence. I didn't want him to give you the password to the Wi-Fi. Because what I want you to do is to leave the flipping phone in your pocket or in your purse 
and for you to use your handout. Maybe those questions would, would prompt your heart for you to look at the scripture that's printed there for you or in your Bible. And for you to take yourself to Christ as if you're the only person here. Let me pray for us. Father, we live such distracted lives. It's so hard for us to escape the noise. And so we ask that you would send your spirit even now, that he would come and that he would quiet our hearts. We ask that he would uh, move in us. And Father, I pray even now that your spirit would give a heart of honesty, that you would reveal our need to us, that you would help us to engage our thirst honestly before you. And as we read, as we pray, as we meditate, that you would be pleased to hear the cries of your people. Father, we ask that you would calm our hearts and draw us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.